Naomi's family had emigrated from Judah to Moab, but sometime later, her husband and her two sons, who had married Moabite women, died, leaving Naomi and her son's wives destitute and empty. Naomi has decided to return to her homeland in order to survive. Our story continues. Reading from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 7 through 18. Her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye they all wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why should you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. <clears throat> Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It can be tempting to read a story like Ruth and treat it like a child's bedtime story. Fanciful and full of happy endings, with a sweet heroine and a brave, strong hero who comes in and saves the day. But Ruth is much more than a sweet story, than a primer on how to find the right man. It is a shocking story. It is a story about two incredibly brave women who are friends. It's the story of how an outsider, an immigrant, a refugee, saves the day for an insider through her ingenuity and faithfulness. And perhaps it's hard for us to see the shocking nature of this story because we don't have much of a connection to Israel and Moab. For many of us, we don't understand the dynamic that existed. We can't understand the sheer audacity of a Jewish hero being a Moabite woman. 
I want to retry telling the story. I want to maybe put it into better perspective for each and every one of us here. So I'm going to ask you to suspend your imagination and join with me just for a moment. Imagine it's the year 2040 here in California, and the droughts have gotten much, much worse. In fact, they've gotten so bad that there is no longer any food to be found in the area. In the state, in the entire western United States, there is a famine that has struck our land. Now, there's a woman named Naomi. She lives in California, and her and her husband have heard that because of the way the weather has changed, there is food now down in Mexico. It's a chance for a new start, so her and her husband, they pack up all of their things and they begin the trek down. They head south of the border, they find a place to live, find a little place, a patch of land to begin to farm, and things seem like they're going to be okay. They have two sons whom they love, and they raise those boys down in Mexico, and they find wives for their sons from the women that live nearby. Ruth and Orpha, two Mexican women who live right next door. And again, things seem like they're going well. The future seems settled. And then disaster strikes. Naomi's husband dies. She buries him in a foreign country. But she keeps going on. She has her two sons. And then, even more distressing, ten years later, both of them die. Now, Naomi finds herself in a small village in Mexico with her two daughter-in-laws and no one else. But she's heard that the weather has changed again and things have started to grow back in the United States. California is again becoming fertile and verdant, and so she decides she's going to go back home. She packs up all her things and her two daughter-in-laws join with her, and she begins her journey back towards California. But as she goes, she stops her two daughter-in-laws and she says, Go back home. Don't you understand? I have nothing else I can do to help you. I have no way to support you. I have lost everything. I am going to be homeless and landless when I get back myself, but you still have families here. You have people. Go back to them. Maybe they can help you. You're still young. Now, Orpha, she hears the truth in Naomi's words. The road ahead for Naomi is going to be incredibly rough. She's a widow with no source of income, no family left. Plus, everyone knows how Americans feel about Mexicans coming into their country. It would be crazy for her to go with Naomi. But Ruth, Ruth refuses to heed her mother-in-law's advice. She knew she would most likely face anger, hate, prejudice, assumptions about who she was, where she was from, what she was doing here. But none of it mattered. Because what mattered to Ruth, you see, was the woman standing in front of her. The woman who had become her friend, who was facing deep pain and loss. And so looking at her mother-in-law, Ruth swears an oath. She tells her, where you live, I will live. Who you make your people, I will make your people. Your God, I will make my God. When you die, 
I will be buried next to you. You will never be alone again. You have lost two sons, but I will be your daughter. And Naomi could see she was serious, and so the two women continued north. Of course, the border crossing was rough, but they made it. They finally made it back to their town in Northern California, and her former neighbors and friends come pouring out into the street. Is that Naomi? They say as she walks. And who's that woman with her? Naomi looks on the people she used to call friends and says, yeah, it's me. But don't call me that anymore. You see, call me Mara, because I've lost everything, and God has dealt bitterly with me. It was the beginning of a new harvest season. See, when we put it in that perspective, perhaps it makes a little more sense. Because Ruth was a Moabite. She was the lowest of the low in Israel. No one willingly went to Moab. No one married someone from Moab. Moabites were not welcome in Jewish towns, and they were not welcome in Jewish fields. Every kind of barrier that could be created was created to keep them out. But that is what makes this story so incredibly beautiful. Because what is at the heart of this story then is a story about friendship and about the power of friendship to change someone's life. We live in a world where people are getting lonelier and lonelier. They just did a recent study where they compiled over 148 individual studies and found that loneliness in the United States is a worse health epidemic than is obesity. People who have close social connections are 50% less likely to die of premature causes than those who are alone. It's estimated that chronic loneliness affects more than 40 million adults over the age of 45 in the United States. Our young people are on the verge of a mental health crisis. The rates of young kids and teens with depression and anxiety have skyrocketed, mostly due to loneliness and isolation. A recent U.S. census has found that over a quarter of us live alone. Half of us are unmarried. Most of us have less than two friends. MIT researchers have spent the last few years pouring money and time into creating stuffed animals that have animatronic features that can respond with facial expressions to give to the elderly in nursing homes because no one will come and visit and they need some kind of contact. Cuddle parties, groups of people that get together simply to find platonic physical touch have sprouted up all over the country. Virtual therapists, online phone lines that phone centers that are not called for sex, but are called just to have someone 
say someone's name, to be able to ask somebody about their day are springing up everywhere. See, in the Western culture, we have come to idolize our independence, going it alone and doing it ourselves. We come from a pull-yourself-up-from-your-bootstraps kind of mentality, but the Bible doesn't venerate these ideals. Rather, stories like Ruth remind us that it is not independence that is valued in the Bible, but interdependence. When Naomi faces pain and loss in her life, like many of us, her first response is to try and push away those who are close to her. I'm not good company right now. I'll just bring you down. I'm I'm bad luck. You don't want to be around me. We tend to look at our circumstances, we see our loss and our pain, and we somehow transmute that onto our very selves. Naomi looks at her lack of sons, her lack of money, her lack of stability, and she can't see her value to Ruth any longer. But Ruth looks at Naomi, and she sees who she is. She remembers for her what she can't see at the moment. At the heart of the gospel, we find it is far more concerned with these kinds of relationships than it is with our marital relationships, than it is with even our familial relationships. Because the church is made up not just of husbands and wives or mothers and sons, but rather of people who have chosen to stand by one another through thick and through thin, who remind each other every day that we bear the image of God and the grace of Jesus, and that's enough. One of my favorite books I've mentioned before, The Council of Dads, is a book written by a man who had been diagnosed with cancer. He had a poor prognosis and two small children at home, so he went out and asked friends from all around his life, to form what he called a council of dads for his daughters in the event that he died. But what he was asking these men was that they share with his daughters as they grew pieces of who he was, pieces of who he had been to them. We have a tendency to see ourselves through only one lens. But friendship... Friends reveal more of who we are to ourselves and to the world. Call me Mara, she says. But Ruth won't do it. She will remind her instead daily of who she used to be and who she can be again. Because her name literally means companion. She will be a companion to Naomi. C.S. Lewis, who I love, writes a great deal on the concept of friendship. Perhaps my favorite note of his is when he talks about that lovers tend to look inward. That's the kind of love that looks at each other. But friends and the kind of love that's embodied in friendship, it looks outward. Two people standing side by side looking in the same direction facing a common goal, a common purpose. 
Naomi and Ruth begin their journey with their faces turned towards that common purpose and goal, one of survival, of finding new life in their future. It can be hard to take the kind of risks that Ruth takes. C.S. Lewis, once again, in one of his most famous quotes, wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you have to give it to no one, not even an animal. You have to wrap it carefully around your hobbies and your little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, in that safe, dark place, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, irredeemable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Being a friend isn't easy. It means taking risks that you will get hurt. It requires putting yourself out there for another person, not to gain anything for yourself, but because you value another person worth the risk. And we see from Ruth's oath that sometimes being a friend means that we have to give up the things that we love or that even identify us. Give up our comfort, our privilege, our well-being to care for another person. Being a Christian friend is more than showing up for a birthday party. It is more than grabbing coffee and checking in on how someone's week is going. It is sacrificial, and it is reserved not only for those who would reciprocate. In fact, it's bigger than any one person in any one relationship. Christian friendship is a community endeavor. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and find the things we have to say and face bear a lot of weight. This weekend in Charlottesville, we have once again seen that things are not okay in our country, that it's not okay in the church. When the loudest bearers of the cross have lit theirs on fire, when they surround churches where our brothers and sisters are worshiping to scream hateful words at them, we have a problem. When the rest of the church is silent and complicit, we have a problem. When the church is more of a friend to the people who are in power and have power than those who don't, we have a problem. The last two days, hundreds if not thousands of people lined up with burning torches, screaming out things like, we will not be replaced by the Jews, yelling hateful words about, our brown and, about people with brown and black skin, chanting for walls to be built, refugees to be kept out and killed. If we are to be friends to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to all of them, even the ones that don't look like us or speak our language, we have to take the risks that are required to stand with them. 
We have to embody Ruth. We have to swear ourselves to them and their lives as companions who are willing to walk the journey and accept them as our friends in our communities. The book of Ruth reminds us that in Scripture, the heroes are the ones we rarely expect. Unlike action films in Scripture, our heroes are the weak and the poor. They're often the smallest, the ugliest, the lowest, and the most overlooked. These are the people through whom God chooses to tell his story, to reveal his presence and love in our world. And they need to know that they are not alone. We need to know that we're not alone, that we are seen and loved and heard as part of humanity. If friendship looks outwards towards a common goal, then our common goal is to lift up our voices against the evils of racism and hatred that hide in our country behind platitudes and silence and jokes. It is not enough to not participate in hate. We must actively strike out against it and walk with those who experience it. Like I said, the story of Ruth is not a fairy tale bedtime story for children. It's not a guide for finding the right guy. It speaks to the heart of our humanity, our need for friendship. It points out the weight that a good friend can bring to bear on the lives of everyone they touch. It's a story about the power of a friend to lift us up when we face utter despair. It's a story about the seriousness of friendship in our Bible and the call on the community to offer it. In one of the most famous children's books ever written, Charlotte's Web, we have an unlikely friendship between a little gray spider and a formerly runt of a pig. Wilbur the pig had tried to make friends in the barnyard and no one wanted to be his friend. There were all reasons why he didn't fit in. But Charlotte looked at him and she saw something that mattered. And she knew that he was in danger. After all, we like bacon. But she decided to help. And so she begins to write words in her web that amaze the farmer and all of the friends and end up protecting the pig's life. And she continues to do it all the way to the state fair when she goes out with her biggest words yet. But in that final act, in that greatest act, that brings the pig great acclaim and secures him safety for the rest of his life, there was a cost. A great cost to Charlotte herself because she knows now that she's been so weakened that her time is at an end. Before she dies, Wilbur finds her and he asks, why did you do all of this for me? I don't deserve it. I have never done anything for you. You have been my friend, replied Charlotte. That in itself is a tremendous thing. 
what a tremendous thing it is to be a friend. And what a tremendous thing it is to have a friend. What a very Jesus-like thing friendship actually is. Friends, let us be good friends to all those people we meet. To all of our brothers and sisters around the world. Let us share the friendship that Christ offers us with each of them. Amen.